Oh, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I know you hear my 
Well, good morning, church. Good to see all of you. Good morning. Hi. Good to get some waves, too. That's nice. <clears throat> good to see all of you. Uh, welcome, welcome. Come on in. Take your seat, and we'll get started. Uh, praise the Lord for another day of life, and we have some sunshine today, which is always so nice. We can be thankful for that uh, as well. Um, it is good to be in this place together, and it's special to worship God with uh, fellow believers, with people that are seeking him, uh, those that desire to hear more about Jesus and uh, to give him honor and praise. And so we're going to do all that and, and much more um, this morning. And uh, I just wanted to, to just have a special welcome. And in my scripture reading for our call to worship, there's this beautiful reminder that Jesus welcomes us. You know, every Sunday I have the great privilege of being here and sharing the word with you and starting our time together with a welcome and an invitation to join us, to take your seats and to, to have your coffee and, and, and be in a place where you have peace and you know that uh, this is a safe place and we can worship God. But, you know, that invitation truly comes from Jesus because he invites us to come spend time with him. And just think about that for a moment. The God of the universe, who condescended himself to come and dwell with us and walk uh, among humans, that he took on flesh, that he um, voluntarily gave himself up for us. And this is our God, who is creator and Lord of all, and yet he desires to spend time with each and every one of us. Not a beautiful truth from the word of God. And so this morning's passage is taken from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 11. And these are words perhaps that you have heard before, but it is an invitation from Jesus himself to come and abide with him and to find rest in him. So our call to worship this morning uh, is taking from Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says these words to each of us this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He offers rest for the weary. We all have times, seasons like that. Perhaps you've just come out of that. Perhaps you are here this morning, and you're right in the throes of a a season of weariness and burden. And Jesus invites us to rest with him and to rest in him. It is an important part of our regular gatherings that we are reminded that we can come and rest in him. He offers renewal and he offers a time of refreshment to begin the new week. We get to do that together. These scriptures um, are a reminder of his goodness and of his grace. He is a gentle shepherd. He is always trustworthy. 
and we need to rest in him. So he invites us. He invites us to rest, to abide in him. And this invitation is for all. It's an invitation for those who still seek him to find rest, ultimate rest, as he says, rest for their souls. Finding eternal security in him and him alone. This invitation is also to his disciples, those who have already believed in him for salvation and him alone, those who are choosing to follow him. He says, come walk with me, come rest with me, take my yoke upon you. Which simply means that if we draw close to him and we are willing to allow him to carry our burdens, that we will find rest for our souls. He doesn't promise that we will have no burdens. He doesn't promise that we will always be uh, joyful and happy and without issue or trial. But yet he still invites us to come and rest in him where we will find rest for our souls. Would you stand with me? I'd like to read this one more time and then we'll pray and spend time worshiping God through song. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this special time together this morning. Thank you for waking us up and putting breath in our lungs, and that we have uh, ventured to be here together this morning to learn from each other, to learn from you and your word, and to offer up praise to you. God, may this time of our singing be a sweet sound to your ear, that you would get all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's sing songs of praise to him together. Our first song is a new song. It invites us to come and rest in the goodness of Jesus. So as you learn this song and, and hear it and join in singing, but it's also good in a time of worship to just listen, right? So take time to listen and join in on this new song of worship for us this morning.
Hallelujah. Father God, you are good and worthy of all this praise and so much more. God, we continue to just praise you for you are a holy God. You are holy and we love to just sing that, Lord. God, we know that for all eternity, we will be praising you and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father God, we just want to continue to honor you this morning and lift up that name of Jesus and, and just be reminded that you are a holy God who loves us. We thank you and that we can even worship you now freely because of what Jesus has done for us. So we thank you, and we thank you for this time of worship in his name. Amen. Take a moment to say good morning to somebody next to you. If we can uh, make our way back to our seats, praise the Lord. <clears throat> it's um, such a blessing to be able to worship God together, so good. And uh, we're grateful for uh, all the kids here at Trinity and um, for their teachers, and we're, th we, uh, we're thankful for our Trinity Kids ministry, and uh, so we praise God for for that, just a, a few items of uh, what we call church life to kind of get caught up in what's been going on here at Trinity and some things that are coming up as well. Uh, if you remember, 
let's see. Oh, there we go. It works when you turn it on. Power switch is good. We have uh, our annual meeting is today after service. So you've been hearing uh, that announcement. We'll have um, packets of information for you for everybody that chooses to stay for our brief annual meeting. Uh, it has the proposed budget in it and all of our ministry uh, annual reports. We'd love for you to, to read through afterwards and uh, we'll get to share uh, some things about the, the vision for this year, uh, and um, you'll hear more about uh, a couple of other initiatives and projects that are coming our way this year in 2024. So uh, after a few minutes of uh, fellowship and getting ready after service, uh, we'll start that about 10, 10, 10, 15 minutes or so at the most right after service, all right? And so please uh, make sure you say again, everybody is welcome uh, to stay for that. Uh, especially any of you who are members and can uh, vote on the budget. We'd love for you to, to stay and uh, be a part of that discussion. Uh, next week, we have um, monthly outreach. Actually, this filled up uh, so quickly once the word spread, but it's uh, our, word, our missions team is going uh, next Sunday to lead the, uh, the chapel for the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission. You know, they're one of our missionary partners. We do a lot of work with them, and we support them not only financially, but through prayers and service and we do a few things with them throughout the year and this will be one of them so we're going to bring uh, a message there'll be some testimonies and worship and we'll get to, to help serve uh, them dinner and so uh, if you are going if you're already signed up please make sure that you see andrew or elizabeth uh, who oversee our missions team uh, to just give you the time to meet there at asbury park at the mission i believe we're meeting there at 5 30. Uh, to get set up, and so any other details, just uh, speak to them, and uh, we're looking forward to that time to be able to just get outside of our four walls and to bless others, amen, because it's a big part of what we talk about, about learning and growing and serving our core values, so we, we have opportunities at least once a month to uh, serve others, and so be praying for all of our missionary partners. We support missions um, around the world, so locally and globally. And so please be praying for them. You'll see their pictures and their locations on our um, missions map out in the lobby. So make sure you check that out if you haven't given that attention before. Uh, we have a bit of a change. So every month we have a fellowship lunch and we do that right after service. It's almost always on the first Sunday of the month. But for March, for next month in, in a few weeks, we're going to change that up and just delay it one week. Uh, so instead of March 3rd, which is the first Sunday, we will have our uh, fellowship lunch the next Sunday on the 10th. We'll also have our communion then as well. Um, and uh, uh, the reason that we're doing that, uh, first of all, it's an international lunch, so we like to once in a while have a theme. And so we're asking, and you'll hear more about this, a reminder, but we're asking that you bring a dish uh, that is specific to your, uh, your heritage, your cultural her uh, heritage, something that you love making, that you love to share, and you can just bring sort of a little sign uh, with it to, to put on like sort of uh, who brought it, where it's from, and let us know how spicy it is. I guess that's always good too, right? <laughs> We'd like to know that. Uh, otherwise, we'll, we'll find out eventually, won't we, the hard way, so. Um, but that is going to be March 10th, and so um, we look forward to that. Maybe you can start thinking about what it is that you'd like to bring, but a great way to help celebrate the great diversity that we have in our church, and God loves diversity. He created all of us uniquely different, and uh, uh, we praise God that we live in a diverse area. We come from all different backgrounds in many different ways, and 
So we like to be able to, uh, to just share in that. And so that'll be on the 10th, our international fellowship lunch. Uh, and uh, the reason that we're doing that and switching it up from the 3rd to the 10th is because we're uh, welcoming back the Hoving Home women. If you remember, they came, I believe it was last year, not the year before. Um, this is um, a group of women who uh, have a choir, and they come and share testimonies and sing some songs, will lead us in worship. And the Hoving Home uh, is part of, um, it's one of the campuses uh, of uh, this ministry to women. It's a residential um, Christian, so it's a faith-based residential recovery program for women. Whether they're recovering from uh, addiction, alcohol, or drugs, or um, coming out of a domestic uh, abuse situation, and for various reasons. But what they do is one of their ministries is they have a choir, they, they, uh, they learn songs, and they go around to different churches, and um, they bless with worship, and then a few of them will share testimonies about what God has done in their life. And if you were here last time, you remember how powerful that was. And it worked so well that we had our fellowship lunch that time that they came, uh, so we got to spend extra time with them, and they ate lunch with us, and so that's what they're going to do. So on March 10th, we'll have them back, and they will bless us during the service and then stay with us for our international luncheon, all right? So that's all coming up on March 10th, so just wanted to make sure that you were um, aware of that. So I'd like to pray for us now as we open God's Word together. We continue in our study of Matthew. Um, if you'd like to turn there, um, it's Matthew 5. It's verses 38 to 42. So Matthew 5, 38 to 42. But I'd like to pray that God would bless our reading and study of his word, uh, and then we'll dive right in. Father, again, thank you for the privilege of being here together. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. We know that we can only uh, commune with you, uh, a holy God, uh, whom we sang so much about this morning, only because of Jesus and his atoning work on the cross on our behalf. So thank you that we can now have a right relationship with you, God, uh, because of what Christ has done, is simply believing that he is who he says he is, and that he did what he said he would come to do, and that he did that for us. So we thank you, Lord. So now as we open your word uh, bless us, Lord. Bless us as we desire to learn and to grow uh, from your living and active word in our lives. May we hide these truths in our hearts and be changed people because of it, that we would leave here later this morning uh, different and changed and closer to you, God, than we were when we walked in a few minutes ago. And for that, we will give you the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in his classic novel, Les Miserables, French author Victor Hugo, he tells this amazing story of Jean Valjean. He is an ex-convict um, looking for redemption. This takes place um, in and around the time of the French Revolution, not during that time, but right around that period of history in France. And he is an ex-convict who is looking for redemption, and if you know the story, he spent 19 years in prison doing hard labor for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family. And there's this, um, the, the whole story 
which uh, was turned into a very uh, popular and well-known musical on stage and in film. There's this very poignant and powerful scene in the story where after Jean Valjean is released uh, from prison, after 19 years, he's looking for shelter and for food, and he's not finding it anywhere. He's given a card, and during that time he had to present this card, it showed that he had just gotten out of prison. And it really marked him, and he was not being welcome anywhere, and wound up having to sleep in his first night on the street. But a priest, a local priest, comes across him sleeping in the corner um, uh, on the street and invites him in to his home. And what happens next is um, very important. And it sets up our passage of Scripture and the teaching of Jesus very powerfully this morning. So would you watch uh, this scene with me from the musical version of Les Miserables, and, uh, and then we will unpack God's Word together. Let's watch this together. We should have papers. I'll sleep in the stable. Please, I'm hungry. Get out. Hey! Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble. What we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. He had the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? 
Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for James 2.13 says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. He was offered freely that night to stay there, to eat their bread, to drink their drink, to, to avail himself of all that they had. And yet he's still out of desperation, perhaps out of habit, he chose to steal their precious silver. And hopefully you notice what happened next when he was caught and returned. He was not judged by the priest. In fact, he didn't just absolve him. He gave him more. That's mercy. And that is grace. That is providing for him something that he did not deserve and withholding from him something he did deserve. Today's passage in Matthew 5, 38 to 42, is Jesus teaching about just this principle, this principle that he desires all of us to live by. If you remember that we are looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and Matthew is writing this gospel account of Jesus' life and teaching to a predominantly Jewish believing group. So they are Jewish, and yet they are now believing in Jesus for their eternal security. And he is writing to them this gospel account to remind them that yes, and to confirm that he is that promised king, and he brought the kingdom. <clears throat> the kingdom that they had waited for for so long as a people. And we find ourselves in this Gospel of Matthew in Jesus' longest recorded sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because he went up onto a mountain and gave this teaching so people could hear him. And it starts with the Beatitudes, the beginning of chapter 5. And we saw Jesus teaching on how to be blessed, to be happy as one of his citizens of the coming kingdom, the kingdom that he was offering, and how we should be living our lives now in anticipation of his coming rule and reign and his coming kingdom. And so we find ourselves now towards the end of this series of statements by Jesus where he says, 
You have heard it said, and he quotes an Old Testament law, either from the law or even from the Ten Commandments themselves. And then he says, but I say to you. So what he is doing is not changing the law of God, but he is giving the proper interpretation where he is unveiling and revealing the very heart of God behind the law. Because you remember the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees to some extent, the scribes, were taking the laws out of context and applying them in ways that God never intended. And so Jesus used examples like murder and adultery and divorce, and he uses examples from the law to say, well, you've heard it said this, and so you've heard it said by the religious leaders, this is how you apply it, but he says, but I say to you, because Jesus is speaking with great authority to be saying those words, but I say to you, and they, of course, took notice. And so this morning's passage is Matthew 5, 38 to 42, and Jesus is now quoting again from part of the law of the Old Testament, something they were all, they're all very aware of, and some things I think that we have heard many times and have actually become part of uh, our society and actually around the world, very well-known statements. And so here's what Jesus says now as the next illustration of how he is getting to the heart of God in the law. Today he talks much about grace and mercy in interpersonal relationships. How do we react as his followers when we are personally wronged or hurt or maligned? You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. The teachings of Jesus Christ on grace and mercy in God's law. You know, in our world today, it's, this has always been the case, but perhaps because of um, just the vast amount of information and our immediate access to it, we're more aware of this. But it seems like today more and more, we hear stories of senseless acts of violence, of hatred, of cruelty, for all kinds of reasons. Today, anti-Semitism is, is on the rise. We're hearing much about it, reading much about it. There has always been different kinds of hatred, one person towards another or to another group of people. There seems to be more um, violence and cruelty just for violence's sake. If you read the news daily, like I do, you start to see these stories about fights breaking out on airplanes because of the, the silliest things, where people are hurt, where they have to divi uh, divert a plane and go back and turn around or land somewhere else because of that. There was a recent story from just a few days ago about a 60-year-old Californian man who was shot and killed in the Walmart parking lot of his store 
when he accidentally had a fender bender with somebody there and he got out to apologize and the person in the other car that he hit who he was apologizing to shot and killed him. Senseless acts of violence. The Old Testament law that Jesus was referring to was called the, the, the law of retaliation. Like, what did God allow when you were personally wronged? Now, I want to say that it's an important distinction here. Jesus is not addressing different laws from the Old Testament or how we should now act as Christians regarding uh, things like uh, the judicial system, the court of law, like uh, military and fighting wars and things of that nature. He's talking about interpersonal issues. When one person comes and wrongs you or slanders you, that's the nature of the type of of um, relationship and interaction that Jesus is addressing. But nonetheless, in, in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, we won't turn there, but the, the, these laws about retaliation only allow, this was God's allowance to the people of Israel, only allowing for uh, equal repayment or return. And so there was even allowed, like if somebody wronged you, that he, God didn't want retaliation or violence or vengeance or a vendetta, but he allowed for, let's say, restitution, even monetarily. But see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were basically teaching that it was okay to enact vengeance on somebody who wronged you. They were misinterpreting the heart of God behind this law. See, God was simply keeping um, a, a rein on Harsh judgment or punishment. You've heard that phrase that the punishment should fit the crime. This is where it comes from. God's heart is always for mercy. If you remember a few weeks ago when we looked at Jesus' example of divorce, and he was saying, you've heard it say, you can, you know, a, a man could divorce his wife, but God's heart, we learned, was that there'd be no divorce at all. Right? And when he talks about murder, he says, if you just have hatred in your heart, you've already committed that sin. God is looking at the heart. God's heart is for mercy. He would desire that there would be no animosity whatsoever, that there would not even need to be an allowance for an equal payment for being wronged. But just like divorce, God allowed it. Why? If you remember why Jesus answered the religious leaders when they said, well, why does Moses allow divorce? He says, because your hearts are hardened. God allows it. Not that he wants it. It's not the reason behind the law. It's because he knows we are sinners and our hearts are hardened, so he allows for it. But again, we should not just camp there and park there and stay there. We should always want to get to God's heart and seek right? That higher ground. So Jesus is saying, and we're going to unpack four of these quick examples that he gives in this passage, but he's telling us overall that we should fight for others people's, other people's rights, but trust in God for our own rights. Trust in God to be just, to bring justice to us when we are wronged. It's like holding the rights we have with open hands. Why? Because God has given us all of our rights anyway. All of our possessions, whether it's our shirt, 
it's our money, it's our time, it's our physical bodies. Who gave them to us anyway? God did. When we have that perspective, it's much easier for us to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to give someone the shirt off your back. Can we stand up for our rights? Are there times when it's right and necessary? Absolutely. We see Paul did that twice. He, if you look towards the end of the book of Acts, Acts 22, Acts 25, Paul actually is about to be tortured. You read that in Acts 22, and he claims his Roman citizenship. Right before they torture him, they're they going to flog him. And he says, you wouldn't do this to a Roman citizen, would you? And they're like, you're a Roman citizen? And he said, yes, I am. And he was. And so he used his citizenship, his rights as a Roman citizen, to not be wrongly accused and punished. So there are times for that. And we go to God in prayer and ask for wisdom and discernment. But again, in our passage today, we are seeing the heart of God behind his laws and how he expects us today as Christ followers to live it out. So he gives these four illustrations that when we are personally wronged, how should we react? Again, he's dealing with individual relationships, person to person, not necessarily about principles of of government governing a people or a nation or military or the need for police and all of that, that is not what really is addressed here. But what does he say first? After he, he quotes that famous law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Which means, you know, that the punishment should fit the crime, right? That if you steal a loaf of bread, you should not be imprisoned for 19 years. See? But he says first in verse 39, Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. So you think about it. If you're standing in front of somebody and you're looking at them and they slap you on the right cheek, well, they would have done that with the back of their hand, right? So if somebody's going to slap you or punch you and they're facing you, they're going to hit you on the left cheek. So what he's saying is that if they insult you, that's really what that was talking about. Yes, there was physical violence done, but he's more saying if somebody insults you, right, that slap across the cheek was like a great insult. So if somebody slaps you on your right cheek, he's saying don't act out in vengeance and slap them back or, or kill them. He's saying how about you give them the other cheek? That was radical, wasn't it? Jesus can be a little radical. And of course, they would have been hearing this and would not have made sense to them at all. But he says, if they slap you on the right cheek, how about you turn the other cheek? I mean, there's a famous saying, right? We've heard that. We've probably used it often. This is a great passage of Scripture where we get these very common sayings and idioms that, that are very um, well known in our uh, day and age. So if he's, he's saying, if you are insulted, turn the other cheek. Does it mean, and you'll often hear it say this way, that, that we are just as Christians to be doormats and let people walk all over us? No, I don't believe that's what Jesus is teaching. But what he's saying is our first reaction, right, our natural reaction, which would be vengeance, enacting vengeance, getting even, he's saying, don't go there with that. Have a heart of mercy and be gracious and generous. Don't return an insult with an insult. When somebody insults you, you don't say, oh yeah, and then you give them an insult back. 
somebody punches you, you don't punch back. He's saying, turn the other cheek. How easy is that for us to do? Difficult. It's not our natural first default reaction. But see, he's saying, you are new in Christ. You are now citizens of this kingdom that I'm offering, and I expect different from you because you are now new in me. He says, this is how I want citizens of my kingdom to be with others. So when somebody insults you, turn the other cheek. Number two, what does he say? He says in verse 40, or if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Did you hear that saying? You'd be willing to give somebody the shirt off your back? Be kind to your enemies, is what Jesus teaches. Actually, that, that teaching of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, that's next week. That comes in this last section where Jesus teaches about how we don't just deal with people that wrong us, but actually with what he calls enemies. Are we willing to give the shirt off our back to somebody? Like in that clip of Jean Valjean and the priest when his precious silver was stolen. Maybe the priest was getting ready to sell it to feed some hungry children in an orphanage. We don't know. But yet he's caught, and the priest says, oh, but you forgot these candlesticks. Would we be willing to react like that when somebody takes something from us that's precious? We have much that's precious that we hold dear to us, but let us remember, as I said earlier, it all belongs to God to begin with, right? He is the one who gives and blesses. So if we remember that, it's much easier for us to say, you know what? You forgot the candlestick. How about in verse 41? He says, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now let's stop here for just a second. We need to kind of know the, the background here. So if you remember during Jesus' day, the, the, the Romans, right, the Roman Empire was occupying Israel, and they were, they were um, uh, ruling over the people of Israel. And so their law was the law of the land, and they actually had a law uh, in Roman law that said that a Roman soldier could choose any person Jew or Gentile, but normally it wasn't another Roman citizen, it was a Jewish person, that they could just randomly choose a Jewish person walking down the street, going to the store, taking their kid to school, and say, hey, carry my backpack, carry my weapons, carry all of my baggage. But yet, the Roman law said they could only make you carry it for one mile. So yes, they could make you, they could force you to carry it, but it could only be for one mile. So Jesus says, whoever forces you, that's why he says forces, he's talking about a Roman soldier, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. How about that? He's saying if a Roman soldier comes up to you, and that would have been such an offense to a Jewish person of the day, right? Because they were ruling over them, the Romans were. And Jesus is saying, if they force you to carry their, their bag, maybe their dirty, sweaty coat, and for one mile, he says, don't do it begrudgingly. How about you even take it another mile? There's that phrase, right? Are you willing to go the extra mile? 
Are we willing to do that? This is the heart of God. It's just so contrary, isn't it, to how we would normally think or act or even how the world and people around us would say that we should respond when we are wronged. In that story I mentioned, as a man gets out of his car, the six-year-old grandfather to apologize for a slight fender bender in the Walmart parking lot and says, I'm sorry. Should we not say, no problem. All is forgiven. But yet he is shot and killed. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Are we willing to go the extra mile? Are we willing to give the shirt off our back? Are we willing to turn the other cheek? You see why these have become idioms very popular in our language. But how about the last one? Again, it gives these four brief, very simple to understand examples. And he says, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. That can be a tough thing, right? Somebody comes, especially if it's family, right? Somebody comes and they want to borrow money from you. Right? What do you do? Now, is Jesus saying, give all of your money to everybody? You should just be penniless and live in the street. No, that wouldn't be wise. That wouldn't be a good steward of what God has given you. He is saying, be generous. Jesus elsewhere says that God loves a cheerful giver, right? We know we're no longer under the law. We, we are not required to give 10% of our money, like in the, the, the Jewish law, right? They were required to tithe. In fact, it was more than 10%. There were other taxes throughout the year. It was like 23, 25% of their, their money, of their income had to be given back. And so we're not even under that law. But what does Jesus say? He says, how about you rise above it? Don't even worry about what the law was. I'm just sticking to 10%. I'm not giving 11. I won't give nine. I won't, I'm not giving 11. I'm giving 10. Jesus is saying, how about you just have a generous heart? Because he says elsewhere, he says, don't give out of compulsion, right? But give, and I'm not just talking about a church, in everything, but you give as God has put on your heart to give. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying these, these just very common parts of our lives. He says in verse 39, don't resist an evil person, whoever slaps you, right? It's like if somebody harms you physically, turn the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, if, if they harm you or want to take your physical possessions, give the shirt off your back. If they want to usurp and take up your time and, and make you go one mile, how about you give them extra time and go the second mile? And finally, how about in our finances, our, our, our money, our possessions? Somebody asks you, how about you give? And Jesus says, you give generously and freely. Jesus wants us to be charitable in all things. Charitable with our money, too. So Jesus is saying, with your, your physical possessions, be generous. With your personal property, with your, your own body, right? with your time, with your money. See, in all things, he's saying, be gracious. Be merciful when someone wrongs you, and be generous. This example from Deuteronomy 15. Again, going back to the Old Testament, this idea about being generous. Again, getting to the heart. This is the important thing, church. 
getting to the heart of God, what Jesus is looking at when he takes the law and says, you've heard it said, you know the law, but I say to you, and he gives that interpretation where it's like, oh, that's God's heart behind this. This is what I should do. Instead of just trying to keep the letter of the law, like the religious leaders were saying, hey, as long as you don't actually murder somebody, it's okay, you have hatred in your heart, nobody knows, nobody's, nobody's the wiser, right? Just, just don't actually commit the murder. Jesus says, if you just have hatred in your heart, then you're already done. You've committed that sin. You know, he turns that upside down because it's about the heart. Deuteronomy 15, it says, if, any, if anyone is poor among you, this is part of the law that God gives through Moses to the people of Israel so they can live righteously. If anyone is poor among you, your fellow Israelites, in any of the towns of the land, the Lord your God is giving you. See the reminder? Where you live, all that you have comes from God anyway. So if there's anyone that's poor among you in all the land that God gave you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. Well, the seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. He's saying there was even this idea, because every seven years there was this year of uh, jubilee, of, of canceling debts, and he said, don't think about it this way, like, I'm not going to lend to somebody, because next year is the year of, of canceling debts, and so I'm never going to get my money back, right? He's saying, don't have that wicked thought in your heart. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. He goes on to say, give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Boy, God not only says give generously, but he says, the condition of your heart matters to me. That can hit home with us, doesn't it? He says, then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. You see the heart of God? He's saying, don't go around like this, closed-fisted. You know what you do when you do that? First of all, it's, there's a lot of tension there when your fists are closed. There's a lot of tension and anxiety and worry and stress. But also, you can't give to others if you're closed-fisted, and you also can't receive more from God. But when you are open-handed in all things, then you are more at peace and relaxed. You are able to give freely and receive freely more from the Lord. You see how that works? So he's saying, don't be closed-fisted, be open-handed. How about this in Colossians 3? Because really it all comes down to mercy and grace. Jesus is saying, would you just be gracious towards people? If they insult you, turn the other cheek. If they steal your shirt, give them your coat. Right? He's saying, if they, if they ask you to, to do this hard thing for one mile, maybe just for one hour, how about you give them another hour of your time? Just be gracious. They won't expect it. It'll represent me well, Jesus is saying. And you'll show the heart of God. God is gracious to us, so we should be gracious to others. God is merciful to us. We should be merciful to others. Colossians 3, 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves, right? He's saying in all the things that you do, right? Encompass yourself, envelop yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. How are we doing with those things, church? Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You can say amen to that, right? Would you stand with me? There's one other passage I want to read. We can stand for the reading of this. It's a longer passage, but just stand and, and read along with it. Uh, just, just listen as I read it and look at the words. This will be our encouragement and also our challenge, right, as we leave here today. From Isaiah chapter 58, 58 the great prophet of the Old Testament, Isaiah, it says this, Shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. He's giving this word to Isaiah. For day after day they seek me out, being the people of Israel. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't even seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting <clears throat> ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high? In this, or is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or, and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then, when you do these things, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the, the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls 
restorer of streets with dwellings. Church, these words given to ancient Israel, these promises, these principles are for us today, right? Are we coming with him just in rituals and he's using this, this idea of fasting? Are we just doing it one day and we go to church and everything's great, we're saying good morning and we go home and we mistreat our family, our workers? Are we, are we willing to just play at being followers of God? But he says, this is what I'm looking for, that you would have the heart for others that you'd be willing to turn the other cheek, be willing to give the shirt off your back, you'd be willing to go the extra mile, that you'd be willing to be generous at all that God has given you, because all that we have comes from him, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. God, your word can be so convicting and so challenging, yet we know it brings life and it brings health. God, we know that that is how we are to become fruitful for you in our walk with you and our testimony before others that we would be willing to be merciful for you have been merciful, that we are willing to be gracious towards others because you have been gracious towards us. Father God, may we put on that cloak of compassion and kindness and justice and God, that we would do it because that is your heart. God, may it be our hearts as well. We ask for your help. We'll give you all the glory for it. Go before us, Holy Spirit, now and prepare the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us, church. Hopefully you can stay for our meeting. We'll get started in, uh, in a few minutes. Thanks again for being here, church.